And tonight, our scripture passage is out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, hello. Welcome to the house. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And for those who don't know me, I am also an alum. Uh, I came to work at the house um, this summer or this fall. Um, and I'm, I don't know, I feel like I'm the oldest uh, alum here. I didn't see anyone from my age, which is disappointing. Um, but I graduated in 2010. Um, and tonight, we are continuing our series on home. I realize you were young. Uh, I, I feel like people snickered when I said that. Um, most people were elementary age, I would guess, or maybe middle school if you're older. But yeah, it's fine. I'm not as old as Jason. He's still the oldest. In the room. It's okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so, okay, we, there we go. Sweet. Okay, uh, we're continuing our series on home. Uh, it's been a week, uh, and so we're, we're going through themes uh, throughout the Bible, th- themes of home uh, throughout the Bible, and there's many, many different descriptions of what home is like um, in the Bible, and we're going to get one, uh, and, t- and tonight is kind of a two-parter. Um, we're looking forward, and next week Jason is going to be looking back a little bit. We're looking forward to a future, uh, excited, uh, better country. Uh, and Jason is going to be talking about nostalgia. Nostalgia might fit uh, the theme for tonight, um, but we'll actually have a little bit to say about that too. Um, let me pray before I start, and then uh, we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here, that we can be here and worship you um, and dig into your word um, and to see what it might have to say to us uh, today. Um, it's a, a, a a miracle that you still speak to us um, through your living uh, word. Uh, and we thank you that we can uh, do something like this tonight. Uh, and for those who um, haven't been in this room or in this place or in this ministry in a long time, uh, we're thankful um, to have them here tonight. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's open with a question. Uh, I want you to turn to your neighbor and answer this question. What is something that you wish were different about the world? What is something you wish were different about the world? Turn and, turn and talk to your neighbor. One thing, just one thing that you wish were different. Okay, if everyone had a chance to do it, someone yell out something they wish were different about the world. Human trafficking, that's a good one. World hunger. Okay. Traffic. traffic. Like less traffic? Yeah. yeah, okay, good. That'd be nice. One more. 
Lower gas prices, good. Okay, so our passage tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this world and the next uh, and our excitement for the next world. But our passage tonight comes as an interlude and on the heels of describing the faith of the patriarchs, namely Abraham. And it makes an interesting case that one of the defining features of God's people in that age is that they were exiles and strangers in the places that they lived. Abraham was called from the comfort of his home to another place that would be his new home, a land that was promised to him. And now he does eventually get there, but it's not really his land yet. He lives there as a sojourner and as a stranger, uh, a foreigner, and this notion is essential to the identity of this first family called to be God's people and blessing. The identity of a stranger, a foreigner. And it says here that these folks died in faith. That's how our passage starts. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They died never fully understanding or seeing the fruition of the promises that were made to them. They only watched and welcomed a vision of them from afar. And maybe they could see the trajectory of God's faithfulness in their lives, and they knew by faith that His promises would come to completion, just not in their lifetimes. They were strangers and exiles. One of the more interesting aspects here, I think, is that their hope, their desire, their faith in something better naturally means that they're hoping for something different. Otherwise, they would have just gone back to the place that they called home. And the text actually addresses this. They don't go back home. This is the piece of nostalgia. No place ever really stays the same. I think we all know this, right? Next week, Jason is uh, talking about nostalgia, and I assume he'll get into this idea, so I won't belabor it. But no place remains unchanged. No people really remain unchanged. Maybe some of you have experienced this this year or over the course of your college career. This happens to me a lot with little kids. Like when we moved here uh, this summer, uh, we've been in Chattanooga seven or eight months now. Um, my sister-in-law has a recently turned two-year-old. And back in July, he was barely walking, barely talking. And a couple of weeks ago, we went back for my son's four-year-old birthday party. Um, all of our family is back in Memphis. We went back. Um, and it's so surprising uh, to see the two-year-old now. In just the span of seven or eight months, he's grown so much. He's walking, he's talking, um, and he wasn't just frozen at the age that I left him. He kept growing uh, and changing. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. You run into someone from high school that you haven't seen in a few years, and through the conversation, it becomes clear that they think you're the same person you were last time you saw them. But you've grown and you've changed your style has changed. You take things seriously now that you didn't, or uh, that you didn't then, or you take things less seriously that you took seriously then. It becomes clear that this person really doesn't know you anymore, but you do the same to them. You think they're exactly the same type of person that they were the last time you were around them. It's really hard for us to get around this idea. When we leave a place, we imagine it just frozen the way it was. But no place or no person ever stays stagnant. People are living, breathing, aging, changing, and they interact with the space around them. They move apartments. They find new boyfriends and girlfriends. 
They populate their spaces with different decor. And sometimes we're disappointed when we realize that the world has kept on moving without us. And some places move slower than others. Sometimes I, I think like my grandparents' house. It's like all the change that existed had already happened, and it feels static. It feels like it hasn't changed much each time I go there, and there's something really comforting about that. Um, but if it's a friend from high school, everything is different. Like you walk into their house, um, you walk into their new apartment, they have a new haircut, they have a new style. Uh, I don't know, the posters on their wall are, are different. But your grandmother's house, your grandfather's house, it's like the garage or the attic just stays the same for years and years and years, and there's something really comforting there. But the world moves on without us. When we leave a place, it keeps moving and people keep changing and people keep growing. We're all sojourners. We're exiles, wandering our, dailies, or our, our lives a day at a time. And this passage encourages us to look forward rather than backward. Abraham desired a better country, and so do we. We're going to spend most of our time in verse 16. Verse 16 says, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. The end of this chapter and the beginning of the next one make it clear that we are part of this lineage. We are called, on the one hand, to make our homes as foreigners here in this world, but to yearn for a better country. And many of us often feel trapped between these two ideas. On the one hand, we want to be grateful for what God has given us, and we aren't quite sure how that relates to a deep, deep desire to want something different and to want something better. There's a sense in which a series like this offers a little bit of confusion. We've been talking about home and the many ways in which home is defined. And on the one hand, we have biblical texts that encourage us to build houses and live in them, to plant gardens and eat their produce, to take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That's from Jeremiah 29, which Jason preached on recently. There's a sense in which we are called to make homes of the places where we find ourselves, to make something of them and to find thankfulness and gratitude in those places. But at the same time, we're called to desire something better and that that is glorifying to God and that creates in us a tension. We don't know exactly how to balance those two things, right? So on the one hand, like the Israelites in exile are called to create, to make homes where they find themselves. We're called in some sense to a contentedness that pushes us to make a home where we are. And at the same time, it's counted as faith to believe that God has a better place for us and to desire it. So let's try to break down that idea a little bit and unwind the paradox in a way that maybe makes sense. I think there are two ideas that help us make sense of this call to plan ourselves while not giving us uh, faith that God has, not giving up on the idea or the faith that God has something better for us. The inheritance, the inheritance on which Abraham's faith was fixed was invisible for two reasons. It was heavenly, 
not earthly, and future, not present. The two things that help us unwind this idea, the better country was heavenly and it was future. So when we talk about the better country being heavenly, that doesn't mean that there isn't anything familiar in it. It just means that there's a spiritual reality that overlays what is earthly. We're part of the lineage of a promised people to find ourselves joined not by national lines, but by the unity of the Spirit of Christ that dwells in His church. We're bound to one another as kinsmen, living together in this broken world that we know can be better. We know that there can be a world without sin, without tears, without shame, without brokenness. Our hope in Christ hinges on this belief. The reality that existence is the purpose of Christ's, uh, that reality, um, is the purpose of Christ's death, life, and resurrection. Jesus isn't the promise. Jesus is the greatest gift the world has ever known, and the entire Bible points towards Him. Don't get it wrong, uh, but He isn't the promise. He seals and guarantees the promise will come true through His death and resurrection. This is maybe a difficult idea uh, to think of it this way, but after Christ, it points back towards Him because He sealed the promise, uh, and before it, it points to Him uh, because it is a promise for something that's better. But the reality is, uh, He isn't the promise in that way. And we know this because we still live in a world marred by sin. It hasn't come to fruition. We live in the in-between times, uh, the already but not yet. And because the heavens uh, are... sorry. Um, because this hasn't come to fruition and won't until Christ returns, and the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in. This is faith. Faith that the world is being renewed to the work of the Holy Spirit poured out as Christ's death and resurrection inaugurated Him as King over all creation. And the moments of good that we experience in this world, the moments of truth, of goodness, of beauty that we experience and even help to create foreshadow what is to come. When we talk about the new country, the better country being a heavenly one, that doesn't mean that it's altogether different in its substance. It means that it's all that is good is made better. In C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, I know, you thought you might escape a C.S. Lewis quote this week since Jason isn't preaching, uh, but it's too good to pass up. Uh, in Lewis's last battle, towards the end, Aslan calls the heroes of the story to follow him further up and further in. They can't keep up with them, and they lose sight, but they stay the course. And as they're going, things begin to look familiar, but different. They look like Narnia, but they're slightly off. And at one point, when talking about some mountains, Lucy says they're different. They have more colors on them, and they look further away than I remembered. And they're more, more, I don't know. And Diggory finishes her sentence, more like the real thing. They're in Narnia, and it looks the same, but it's different. A few paragraphs later, Diggory says this. He says, listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. 
It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here, just as our own world, England and all, is only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course, it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow or as waking life is from a dream. His voice stirred everyone like a trumpet as he spoke these words. And in John 10, starting in verse 7, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. In the same way that all the creatures have been drawn into Narnia through the door. Heaven, uh, heavenly, as this text use, uses, simply means colored by the grace of heaven. It means that we'll dwell with God for eternity. That's the vision laid out at the end of Revelation. And next, the better country is future. It's not just heavenly, it's also future. This is a reality that's not fully available to us today. It doesn't come until Christ returns. We live and exist in this middle ground, the already but not yet. It's a future reality that our world today only foreshadows. But the faith in that reality is what keeps us going. Knowing that we live as exiles and strangers frees us up to be a little strange. It frees us up to live counterculturally in ways that glorify God. It frees us to be shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit as opposed to the fads of the day. Christians, we are marked by something eternal, something future, and something that we can hint at through the way we live right now. The fact that we likely won't see the fruition of this promise in this life is what allows us to be grateful for the shadows that we get to experience today, every day. And what fuels us to bless the people around us by giving them glimpses of that promise as well. So as exiles living right here, right now, called to plant ourselves and to create culture and to have families uh, and to build buildings and create art and music uh, and to live fully, we give glimpses, foreshadows to others of what is to come. This glorifies God. And our section ends tonight with an absolutely mind-boggling statement when you stop to think about it. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? It says here, because they desire a better country. That's what it says. Uh, God is not ashamed because they desire a better country. Because they desire a better country and He's prepared for them a city. But how does that even make sense? Uh, it does, I mean, it doesn't when you just read it. It doesn't make sense to me, at least. Um, why would the fact that we or Abraham or the patriarchs desiring a better country make God unashamed to be our God? Or to put it positively, as the message does, you can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. I heard a pastor put it this way once, and it made a ton of sense to me. When you desire something, that really doesn't say much about you. 
I mean, it maybe says that you want cool things or lame things or that you want something different, but it really puts the spotlight on the thing that is desired. When you hear someone talking about really, really wanting to move to Colorado, what that person is saying is that they think Colorado is really cool or wherever they want to move. I don't know. Where do people want to move now? I feel like it's Colorado. Is that true? What? Hawaii. Yeah, that says something about Hawaii. Hawaii is a place to be desired to live there, right? Uh, I took my, uh, we're off script now, sorry. We, we took our honeymoon um, to Hawaii, and I have this tendency anytime I travel um, to, want, to want to move there immediately. I mean, my wife hates it. Um, I love new places, and I love experiencing new places, and I, I'm like on our honeymoon, I'm looking up jobs like in Hawaii. I'm trying to find, like, do they need pastors in Hawaii? Surely they do. I, I would assume there are schools. My wife's in education and there are churches. We can both find jobs here. And this is like living in paradise. Um, that says something about the place, right? It doesn't say something about me. I mean, the story that I just said maybe says something about me, but really about Hawaii and that it's a place that is really cool to live. And when someone says that they really, really want something, they want X, whatever it is, they're really elevating and putting the spotlight on the thing that is desired. Sure, like I said, they're also communicating an inherent dissatisfaction about what they have, but that's less so the point. So when we say that we desire a better country, a heavenly one, and God has already been preparing that for us, it builds excitement for him and what he's doing. It builds excitement around other people. We're elevating what God is doing, the work that he's doing in preparing something for us, for his people. It elevates him and his new creation. It elevates a vision of the world that is more real than this one and that allows us to dwell with him completely unfettered by the brokenness that marks this current world. When we desire the future that God is preparing for us and have faith that it will come, then God looks at us with delight. He's proud to call us His people. Ultimately, we live between two worlds. We live here blessing others by giving them a glimpse of what's to come, by planting ourselves where we are and seeing God's handiwork in and around us, and giving Him thanks for it, and allowing the Spirit of God to shape us into Christ-likeness, while still deeply desiring a reality where we dwell with God for eternity. We're called to such a deep desire for this, like reap a cheap. C.S. Lewis, reference number two, and the voyage of the Don Treader, who when faced with the prospect of not continuing on their voyage, has this to say, my own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. And when she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. And when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country, or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. He'll never stop seeking a life with Aslan, and I hope we never stop seeking one with God. We're strangers and exiles in our lives today. 
So if you don't feel completely at home, you're not alone. We're not meant to. Because God is preparing a new and better country for us. And to want it is to glorify Him. And to live like you have a Father who is proud to call you His. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You are preparing a better world for us. One without brokenness, one without tears, one without pain. And I pray that we give people glimpses of that world through the ways that we live our life today. Uh, That we can see your work and the goodness and the truth and the beauty around us glorify you, magnifying those things. Um, That we deeply, deeply desire something different about our world. And that in doing so, makes you proud of us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.